Morning, Glory, America. Bonjour, hi, Canada. Greetings to the rest of the world that is listening to the Hugh Hewitt Show from the ReliefFactor.com studio inside of the Beltway. That music means it's the last radio hour of the week for our new affiliate in Erie, Pennsylvania. TalkErie.com on 1530 WZTE in Union City and 103.3 and 105.9 FM in Erie, Pennsylvania. You joined 12 affiliates from the week before. The Hillsdale Dialogue is something we do here once a week. The last radio hour of the week is brought to you by our friends at Hillsdale College. All things Hillsdale available at hillsdale.edu, including an amazing new online course uh, with Dr. Larry Arn and Victor Davis Hanson about World War II. But we cover the waterfront here from Homer and the early playwrights like Aeschylus right up to what happened yesterday. And today is one of those days we're at the end of the spectrum because I'm joined by Dr. Matthew Spaulding. He is the director of the Kirby Center at Hillsdale. It is the lantern of reason that Hillsdale College maintains in the shadow of the Capitol, doing everything that is necessary to bring sweet reason to the members of the new Congress. Uh, Matthew Spaulding, Happy New Year. It's great to have you back. Great to be back, Hugh. Happy New Year. And and as far as I'm concerned, it's still Christmas. So (laughs) Merry Christmas. (laughs) Merry Christmas. Now, I got to ask you, though, uh, as a New Year's resolution, can we get Matt Spaulding onto Twitter? (laughs) <laughs> that's a pretty big ask <laughs> you've got all those no, we, we, we believe we have we have we're old technology here you know i'm i'm, I'm on the internet i have i have uh i have a facebook page i know that but what you've you got want? all those brilliant young hillsdale college students running around there if they could set up a dr matt spaulding twitter feed or a dr larry Arn twitter feed they can even run it for you it's a great way to publicize all the great work of the kirby center well, we we have ways of communicating with our with our Hillsdale people. We yeah you know, we have we have sleepers all over the country, <laughs> all uh, right. ready ready to to engage in saving the republic. For my new audiences, I, and, I, and there are literally fifteen new signals in the last two weeks. Would you explain yeah, to them great. what the what the Kirby Center does? <laughs> well, so you know Hillsdale's in Michigan. That's the the, the mothership, the main campus uh, that teaches the great liberal arts. Uh, the Kirby Center is a is a campus in Washington D.C. for our students who come here during the semesters, for uh, congressional staff. Uh, we do courses, we do retreats for members. We have one coming up here in January. Uh, we do lectures and seminars, and we're getting ready, if all things go well, to start a graduate school here in Washington D.C. So, the Kirby Center is, is an extension of the original mission of the college. Uh, but it's got the specific uh, uh, purpose of trying to teach the great principles of the Constitution to those that shape public policy here in the nation's capital. Now, you've been in the nation's capital for how long, Dr. Spaulding? Uh, <laughs> about 25 years. And so you've seen speakers uh, so I, come I've and go. I've seen the comings and going for some, for some time, yes. Now, this is... Um, well, on the one hand, somewhat historic, but it reminds me of a lot of things in the past. Uh, you know, when so uh, I, 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 when Paul Ryan took the gavel to become speaker, his first show was from the Kirby Center in your studio there, which I hosted. And at that time, it's, it's like an NFL coach. As soon as you get hired as speaker, you know you're going to get fired someday. But Nancy Pelosi coming to ap- back to get the gavel is the first time that's happened since 1955. Why do you think that is significant or isn't it? Well, it's 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 both. It's it's somewhat significant, but it also tells us a lot about the current state of the Democratic Party. I, I think the most interesting thing yesterday in watching this, and you saw it in the rules debate in the House, you saw it in some of the other issues that have come up, uh, is what's going on within the Democratic Party. I mean, 
the what's what's going on in both parties. Because on, on the other hand, you have the the new senator from Utah uh, uh, who has written a column in the Washington Post, Romney, about the president. The the divisiveness and the in the divide within the parties. There, there's a grand realignment restructuring going on caused by President Trump, but we're seeing it play out now. And I think there's a fight in the Democratic Party. And uh, right now, Pelosi's got the, the, the gavel. Uh, she only got it by saying that she would stay for a bit and then go away. And she's got a little time here to keep to tamp down uh, her members who are going to get very restless. And you're going to go into a presidential election. And I think we're going to see a lot of that play out, a lot of that fight for the primary, Democratic primary. We're going to see it play out in the House. I just so I had a on... lot of interesting things to go here. I just had on Congressman Eric Swalwell, who was a Democrat running for the president from California's 13th Congressional District. And he he ended up, after a few questions, saying he would support a compromise on border security funding. Isn't that where this shutdown has to end, Matt Spaulding, with a compromise? Well, I, I think it does, and it would normally. And as a matter of fact, the ingredients for compromise are there, given a few details here and there. I think, however, the, the, this debate has now become part of the 2020 battle. And so whether that happens or not, I, I, it, it's hard to see. I, I think the president has actually left room uh, in his own rhetoric and his positions for a compromise as long as certain things are met, namely a wall or some sort of uh, border security structure, whatever we want to call it, enhanced fencing. Uh, and the question is whether the Democrats will uh, allow that to allow that to happen. Normally, that would be the case, and we would have had this deal uh, a, a while ago. But I, I think now it's been brought up into the elections, and it's going to be harder and harder to get there. And the question is, you know, can Pelosi actually bring that to the table? I mean, now that the government is, is shut down, and, and the president, I think, took it upon himself because he wants to highlight that issue. But, but now the question is whether I think the Democrats will come back to the table. Trump, I think, is ready to compromise and find some sort of deal. I don't know that they are or whether they can right now. Now, let me, in fact, the President of the United States just tweeted on this. Let's play that. As I have stated many times, writes the president six minutes ago, if the Democrats take over the House or the Senate, there will be disruption in the financial markets. We won the Senate. They won the House. Things will settle down. They only want to impeach me because they know they can't win in 2020. Too much success. Matt Spaulding, that's prototypical Trump. (laughs) It's classic Trump. Uh, But there's a very large grain of truth in it. Uh, the, the, the speaker spoke yesterday when she took the gavel as if she controlled Congress, but but she doesn't. One of the, the, the most important differences here from the last time she had the gavel um, is she can't actually pass legislation because she doesn't have a Democrat in the Senate, so they can't put things on his desk. So there's a, a, a massive firewall preventing her from getting things done. Uh, and he's in a large, uh, he's in a strong position going into presidential elections. It's hard to see how she positions that, which is why I think she's in a tough spot. She actually reminds me of um, this is kind of like John Boehner coming, being speaker right after the Tea Party elections. Her, her, the, the party's divided. She's got to figure out how to absorb that into her party. But she's got a, another dilemma, which is 
she's now going directly into a presidential election, and you've got a figure like Trump, and you don't control the Senate. So I think they're actually in a somewhat weak position, and this is all going to be, uh, be, be fought out. If Trump plays his cards right, I think that if things do settle down, the economy settles down and starts coming, uh, at least in terms of the markets, the rest of the economy is actually quite strong, uh, he's going to be in a pretty good spot because they're likely not going to agree and have all sorts of battles within the Democratic Party. Oh, you want to let, let's start with last night. There's a new congresswoman, Representative Rashida Talab, uh, Talib, I guess. She is from Detroit. So she's from Hillsdale's home state. Last night in front of a crowd of supporters, she said, people love you and you win. And when your son looks at you and says, mommy, look, you won. Bullies don't win. And I said, baby, they don't because we're going to go in there and we're going to impeach the mother blanker. That's what she said. It's on tape. It's everywhere on the Internet. Yep. Does that help yep. the Democrats? I, I that. That. It, it doesn't. And I think, I think that will likely continue to happen and happen more often. And it's going to be very, very difficult for her to prevent that. But the, I think the harder ones for her, they're going to be outbursts here and there. They've introduced uh, articles of impeachment. Uh, they want to get rid of the Electoral College. There are all sorts of things flow out there that will be brought up. But if you look at that rules debate, the rules package they brought in, she's clearly trying to figure out ways to control that from getting the agenda of the House. Um, they passed PAYGO, which are the, the, you know, several of the progressive members aggressively um, opposed because that will prevent them from advancing their new Green Deal and other large uh, Medicare for all pieces of legislation, which bust the budget. So I, she's trying to figure out how to get, get them under control, but there are going to still be these outside outbursts that are going to occur in, in a similar way that, that the Tea Party was kind of biting at uh, Boehner's uh, ankles all the time. Uh, and this is going to be difficult for her, which is why I think the 2020 presidential election is going to play out in the House. I'll be right back. This is, Matt's, this is Matt Spaulding. He is the director of the Kirby Center, Hillsdale College's Lighthouse of Reason. All things Hillsdale are available at hillsdale.edu. You can follow the Kirby Center on Twitter. You can follow Hillsdale at Hillsdale on Twitter. And you can follow me to the next segment of the Hillsdale Dialogue. Stay tuned, America. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt in the relieffactor.com studio inside the Beltway, joined by Dr. Matthew Spaulding. He is the vice president of Hillsdale College, the director of the Kirby Center, Hillsdale College's lantern of sweet region inside the shadow of the Capitol. You can find everything about Hillsdale at hillsdale.edu. You can find all previous Hillsdale dialogues collected at hughforhillsdale.com. Uh, we have another tweet from the president. How do you impeach a president, writes the president, who has won perhaps the greatest election of all time, done nothing wrong, parens, no collusion with Russia, it was the Dems that colluded, had the most successful first two years of any president, and is the most popular Republican in party history at 93%, question mark. Matt Spaulding, what do you think? On that, I think he's largely right. I think that impeachment would be a... uh, Complete political move on the on the part of the Democrats can't even get through the Senate. Can't get brought. You know, nothing will happen there. But if you think of where things are right now, I, you know, he's it, Trump is 
is a is a divisive president. He he he's dealining our politics. Uh, he's abrasive. All this is true. But if you look at the statistics of what's uh, what's happened last year, the economy is strong. Uh, we're we're now oil independent for the first time in our history. Uh, it's it's quite amazing. He's he's got approvals within his Republican Party. There are divisions which we've seen popping up here lately. There will continue to be divisions and uh, some unhappiness. But but in terms of what his where he's on the policies, uh, he's I think in a strong position. If if they go down that path, I think that will be um, very destructive for the Democratic Party. If <laughs> it might actually even help Trump uh, in his reelection bid, which is why he's probably trying to encourage it. Uh, yeah, you know, he really would like impeachment. Eric Swalwell, who was um, the Democrat who was on last hour, uh, and I'm going to play for you a little bit of his take in the next hour about why he's different. But he did not want to endorse impeachment, uh, Matt. He wanted to say only if the evidence is overwhelming. I think he ought to be impeached at the ballot box. I think we ought to beat him at the ballot box. I think Democrats on the center left want nothing of this frenzy that is consuming the progressive hard left. Well, what they'll try to do is they'll try to drag it out as as long as possible. Well, we need investigations. We need to look into this. I mean, they don't have time to actually pursue impeachment before you actually get into the election. So I think that the uh, the more moderate types who want to make the 2020 election into an impeachment election are probably in a stronger position. Having said that, it's going to be delicate to see how they how, how they do it. I mean, the natives are restless. As you, you saw, you saw from that clip you played, or that um, the clip you brought up in the last segment, that's going to be tough for for them to control. But I think they will. She's she's passed rules that allow her to control the House. Our House is very majoritarian. Um, but I think what we're all all this is 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 this is all pointing towards evidence that everything that's going to happen between now and and 2020 is all about the presidential election. Uh, nothing will get through the in terms of legislation. There might be a deal on um, uh, there some sort of immigration deal and a border wall to get it reopened again, but nothing significant. There will be hopefully some very significant things that will continue in the Senate, which I know you've written about, which is very important. But other than that, everything is positioning about the 2020 election in terms of who's saying what about whom. People uh, legislation will be proposed as positioning um, and. You know, I think that changes the, all of the, the, the dynamics. And very soon, I think Pelosi and the Speaker, at least right now, the House will become more uh, and more insignificant as she will be overshadowed by presidential candidates, people vying for primaries, uh, and the real Trump critics who are going to fight the 2020 election. That, that's like a hurricane moving over warm water. The House is creating the conditions for the presidential came to be, campaign to be extremely turbulent, Matt Spaulding. No, I, I, I think that's right. And I think that she'll, she'll be able to control it in terms of their immediate what actually happens in the House as a formality. But I think she'll have no control over the, the breadth of that debate. And you'll see it coming up in every everything that comes up, every rule debate, every fight will be about the 2020 election between the Bernie left and the, and the moderate left. I will be right back with uh, Dr. Matthew Spaulding, director of the Kirby Center at Hillsdale College. Stay tuned, America. All things Hillsdale, including your chance to sign up for Imprimus at Hillsdale.edu. Welcome back, America. To you at InsideTheRelayFactor.com studio inside the Beltway. Later today, I jump on a plane with John Bolton and a half dozen other members of the media to fly off to Jerusalem and Ankara. 
to find out what is going on with our Syria policy. Looking forward to that on Monday. Bob France will be in on Tuesday. Kirk Schlichter on Wednesday. Uh, Mark Davis and I'll be back on Thursday, and I'll be here for the Hillsdale Dialogue, which we're in the middle of right now, the last radio hour of every week. All things Hillsdale are found at hillsdale.edu. Go there right now and sign up for the free speech digest in Primus. You'll get it once a month in your mailbox. It's absolutely free. And watch the brand new online course on World War II. It's an amazing course. VDH, Victor Davis Hanson has a great new book out called The Second World Wars. First lecture by Dr. Arn, all the rest of the lectures by VDH. It's an amazing course at hillsdale.edu. And if you like these conversations, you can binge listen. They're all available at hughforhillsdale.com. My guest is Dr. Matt Spaulding. He is the director of Hillsdale College's Kirby Center, their think tank inside the Beltway. Uh, We're talking about Democratic presidential politics and what impact they will have on the House. Dr. Spaulding, I want to play for you four minutes out of a 20-minute conversation I had with Eric Swalwell so you can hear what's going on inside the Democratic Party, and then let's talk about it. This occurred about 45 minutes ago. Do you think you'll be voting in favor of articles of impeachment in the coming Congress, Eric Swalwell? I hope not. I, I really hope not, because I, I think that's bad for democracy. Um, I'd rather see Donald Trump impeached at the ballot box by the voters. I, I, I don't want to make him a martyr. And I also just think, you know, it, it, impeachment is almost like going through a bankruptcy. It's just a very uh, hard thing to come out of. But. No one's above the law, and, you know, we have to take our job seriously. And if, if there is evidence, I, I think we should have an airtight case, seek bipartisan buy-in, and be able to explain to the American people why uh, this, you know, extraordinary measure uh, is necessary. Now let's switch to the shutdown. Uh, I know the president took the mantle on when he shut it down, but I believe it's being kept shut by Speaker Pelosi and Minority Leader Schumer because they won't compromise. Do you think we need border security, Eric Swalwell? Yes. Yes, Absolutely. Does that include border barriers of some sort? Yes, it, it does. But I think where the the barriers between the Republicans and the Democrats, uh, or the Republicans and uh, the Democrats and President Trump right now, is uh, I don't think he's going to get a, a two thousand mile structural wall, and he hasn't been able to articulate you know just exactly where he thinks uh, you know a wall uh, is needed, and he certainly has shown no way that Mexico. Uh, would pay for it. So what he promised the voters in 2016, he's not going to get. But more Border Patrol agents, yes, uh, security measures where, you know, there are gaps and vulnerabilities, uh, making sure people aren't overstaying their visas, using, you know, drone technology to identify people getting close. I'm all for that. What about fencing, though? I've, I've been a proponent of double-layered fencing ever since it worked so dramatically around Yuma. And it seems to me that if the speaker and the minority leader came back with $3 billion for border barriers wherever appropriate, we'd be done, and these 800,000 feds could go back to work, don't you think? Yes. If he could articulate that, yes, I'm, I'm open to that. But, you know, a, a wall, which he does not want to come off of, uh, is not going to be supported uh, by Democrats. And I, I think it's just because of the symbolism uh, of a wall between, you know, two allied nations. I, I, I don't think is a, a good thing. Well, we've got we've got fences and walls in different places. I go through the Tijuana border a lot because we support an orphanage down there. But I'm just curious: Will you go to the leadership and say make an offer that's reasonable? Yeah, and I think by putting forward a bill that a hundred Democratic and Republican senators voted for already, I think that's pretty reasonable. Uh, you know, what we put forward yesterday was exactly what Mitch McConnell passed with a hundred votes, Republicans and Democrats, uh, and you know, the president seems to be the one. I think, isolated uh, here. 
Well, but, but he turned it down. He is the president. We need a compromise. Yep. Every one we of the do. 17 previous shutdowns have concluded with a compromise. Should the speaker and the minority leader compromise? Yeah, I think if, if it's a matter of dollars spent, uh, yes, you could see uh, movement. But I, I don't believe you know a structural wall, as the president has described, uh, is, is going to really earn any Democratic vote. And now I, I, we're running low on time. I hope you'll come back early and often, Congressman. It's great to talk to you. What makes you different from the 30 other Democrats who want your party's nominee? You're 38 years old. You're a prosecutor. You've got a little heads up because you are born in Iowa, raised in Iowa. That's kind of a little advantage people don't know about. But what makes you different from yeah. this parade of candidates? Well, at first, I believe in the promise of America, which is if you work hard, that means you should do better for yourself and dream bigger for your kids. Because I lived it, the, the son of a cop and a mom who still works uh, today and worked a number of odd jobs, but I don't think that's being fulfilled everywhere. And uh, I grew up in a town called Dublin, right next to your uh, family in Pleasanton, and, and they will recall that 20 years ago when I was growing up, it was called Scrublin because the schools weren't that great and we didn't have any high-end employers. And because we invested in schools and we invested in attracting high-end employers, we turned the fortunes of that city around. And I think if you made those investments across America, you could connect the disconnected. So just by growing up and knowing want and knowing grit, I saw that if you invested and believed in people, uh, you could change their lives. But I also, just by being a prosecutor and being on the intelligence committee, uh, I have, you know, I think stood up for our democracy uh, when it's been uh, on the ropes. I also believe that the the future of our country is forward and that it's really going to take new energy and ideas uh, to get us there. So that's why I'm considering it. And uh, if I make that, you know, announcement, I I do promise to come back uh, and, you know, take the full Hugh Hewitt vetting. Uh, uh, Enough of that. Now, Matthew Spaulding, what did you make of his... He's a presidential candidate. He's serious. He's going to be on the debate stage. What did you make of the dance that he just did? I thought it was a very, very good dance. And he's got got good instincts. I mean, look, the, the... Let's back up for a second and talk about the essence of a compromise. And, and, and the, the great model here, of course, is historically is, is, is a Henry Clay. And Clay, Henry Clay in the, in, the, in the 18th century, 19th century, grand compromises, always said to get a compromise, you have to leave room for the other side to compromise. He's trying to find that room from a language point of view. The problem is that they're trying to get across this very clear uh, thing, which is a structural wall. Now, is it semantics, what we call it, or is it how it's written in the legislation? That's where the deal is going to be wrought. If it's just dollars, he says, we can make a compromise. He's trying to get around an ideological divide, uh, uh, a larger political divide, how it's perceived in the public in terms of the wall, um, to find that compromise. And I think he's uh, that's where he should be if he wants to uh, get there. Now, whether that works from an electoral point of view in the Democratic Party, I don't know. I have my doubts. Uh, but I'm glad someone's out there making that kind of an argument because that's where they should be thinking in order to get past this, uh, this problem. I don't see how they can go into a presidential election uh, having left immigration and border security off the table. Now, there are 800,000 people, many of whom are listening because we've got a huge audience inside the Beltway, uh, who are not getting paid. I believe this is wholly on Schumer and Pelosi because they won't do what Henry Clay did, which is leave room for a compromise. They've said, no way, or our way or the highway. That's on them now. The president shut the government down. He took the mantle. There's no denying that. 
but that means ball right. is on your right. side. No, and, and he's ready to open it up, and he's left. I think he's left room for that compromise. He's already put a compromise out there. He's already paid, made one bid back to them. Um, but but I think he's drawn a line, which I think is to his credit and politically to his uh, to his to his good, which is that he won't negotiate over the general principle of securing the border, whether we do it through something called a wall or through enhanced fencing or whatever you want to call it, he says, that's fine. But that's the thing that has to be accomplished. I think he's putting the Democrats in a position where, okay, they can compromise, but they're going to have to be able to say they've done that thing. Whether they can swallow that is is the um, is, is the question here. But, but Trump clearly wants to compromise uh, and, and is willing to do so. And the, and the ingredients of a compromise are out there. Could, we could go big the way um, uh, Lindsey Graham and some others want to do. We could go small, but it's, it's the, 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 the pieces are there. I don't know if she can get her constituency, meaning that Speaker Pelosi in the House, uh, whether she could get that through and survive, uh, you know, politically right now because they don't want to give him a rhetorical victory going into 2020. And this is where Matt Spaulding is getting at the key thing. The reason this is going to go a long time is not because of the Republicans. It's because Nancy Pelosi has a problem on her left. Uh, it used to be the Democratic Party had a lot of blue dogs in it. They had a lot of conservatives. from the, That's all done. The, the country has sorted itself out, Matt Spaulding. There aren't any blue dog Democrats. There aren't any liberal Republicans left. Am I right? No, that's right. Well, well look, even, even more so. Not only is that true, but... I think something like a quarter of, of the Democrats are freshmen. It's a huge uh, freshman class coming into the House. Uh, a lot of them are very young. Some of them are avowed socialists. That caucus, if, if we think about a, a uh, divided caucus in terms of pulling it together, is, is going to be impossible to, to find a consensus on these things. But you know, not only are there no blue dogs, but it's moved to the left uh, significantly. And then they have to deal with the Senate. And so you have, a, you have a, a House which has moved considerably leftward who will not be in a mood to pass legislation that will make it through a Senate, which is still – it's controlled by the Republicans with uh, enough votes to really control it from a majority point of view. But the Democratic Party in the, in the, in the, in the Senate is still pretty moderate by, by, uh, by House standards. But, but so here's what in a, in, a, in a very big problem. What I see happening over two years is that the Republic, the, the public at large, including the people in the middle, not Republican, not Democrat, independent, are going to see that the Democratic Party has gone over the left cliff. That's my that's my prediction is that they're just going to say, that's crazy. What happened to those people? Do you think I'm being overly optimistic, Matt Spaulding? Uh, well, I, I think the, <laughs> that's the source of optimism because, you know, for two reasons. One is that seems to be where the Democratic Party wants to go in its heart of hearts. I mean, we're, we're talking here about Nancy Pelosi, who herself is a pretty liberal Democrat. She now represents the, the moderate wing of the party, trying to hold back the, the movement of her own party. Um, and the, the, the other thing is, is they've They've uh, they're vehemently opposed to the president and everything about him. And so they will be extremely difficult for them not to play presidential politics and everything. So I, I think that will be the, the natural inclination. And then on top of that, you're going to have the fact that the House won't be able to get through any legislation. Due. They're going to have to have budget deals to, to keep the government going. 
but there'll be no major legislation. And meanwhile, the Senate's going to be passing nominations and and getting judges through and all the other nominations that got uh, that are being set aside. And the president will continue uh, with a lot of his agenda, given the the authority and ability of the president through administrative actions to to do things. Amen. When we come back from break, we're going to talk about that Judiciary Committee in the Senate. It is up to Lindsey Graham to set the pace, the timing, the momentum, the resolve, and to stop the nonsense on 60 hours of delay. We'll talk about that with Matt Spaulding, director of the Kirby Center. Go follow Hillsdale College at Hillsdale. Welcome back, America, to Hewitt. From the ReliefFactor.com studio, I'm joined by Matt Spaulding. Matt is the director of the Kirby Center, Hillsdale College's lighthouse of sweet reason in the shadow of the Capitol, All things Hillsdale are available at hillsdale.edu, including your application so that you can go or you can suggest to your son, daughter, grandson, granddaughter, go to the great, great university up in that state up north that really turns out educated young men and women who are changing the country. Matt Spaulding, some breaking news. The United States economy added 312,000 jobs in December. That meant, believe it or not, that the unemployment rate went up to 3.9%. Because people who have long been out of the workforce are getting back in because it's the economy is booming. What do you make of that number? I, I, I find that uh, <laughs> amazing, but but understandable. I mean, look the, the the recent news has been focused on the 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 instability of the of the markets, and there's a lot of things going on there, especially having to do with uh, what's going on in China uh, and, and its its economy. But the underlying aspects of the of the economy are strong, and had would this be in any other circumstance, any other going into any other presidential election, I think we would see an extremely strong economy in terms of that unemployment rate, uh, unemployment rate in different sectors of the economy, uh, the um, uh, various aspects of how other parts of the economy are doing. Um, the, the effects of this, I think, are, are going to be strong now. And, and, and part of this will be as as the tax cuts uh, start playing into people's uh, thinking in terms of their taxes as well. So I, I think the economic side, if we can get the market settled down and, and all of that, uh, uh, is very strong for him going ahead, going forward. I agree. That's just an incredible job number, 319,000. Now to the Judiciary Committee. Lindsey Graham gets the gavel. Uh, there are 12 appeals court judges in line. There are 60 uh Federal judges for the district court in line. They didn't get hearing. Jeff Flake shut it down, hurt his own state when he did so, by the way, hurt Arizona because the Ninth Circuit needs these judges badly. Do you think that the Republicans ought to change the rules, use the Reed rule that allows them to change the rules by a simple majority to narrow the amount of time per nominee? Because right now they're just slow walking everyone 60 hours. No, look, I, I have long been an advocate that the that each house can set its rules and they should use those rules to do their uh, their job, both their constitutional responsibilities, but also uh, in terms of moving legislation through uh, as as an institution. Uh, the Senate has un- a unique power, separate from the House, which has to do with the advice and consent, having to do with nominations from the president. That's an obligation they have. Uh, that is currently being an, uh, obstructed in a way that it's never been obstructed before in terms of uh, not opposition. Most of the people that get through ultimately are, are voted through on a bipartisan vote with, with lots of support. It's merely being slow walked to slow down the process. And not only do you have those judges who didn't get through, who are now going to be renominated, that could go through very quickly if they wanted them through. 
to, but you've got a lot of other people who are nominated, been sitting around for a year or so, and you've got major positions in the in the administration that are unfilled because they're slow walking all of these things. You know, one of those so I, is I, they should think about changing those rules. One of those is Cully Stimson. He's the senior legal fellow and manager of the National Security Law Program over at Heritage. You probably know him from years at Heritage. Uh, Cully is supposed to be the general counsel of the Navy. They have held him for a year. I think it's Senator Gillibrand has a hold on him because she hates the Navy. Uh, I honestly do not yeah. think that the hold should be allowed. That's not in the Constitution. Advise and consent means the majority rules on nominees. That's what it ought to mean, at least. No, that, that's right. Well, first of all, Coley is, is a great guy. I mean, talk about an upstanding, excellent lawyer with a great military record that should be doing what he's doing. Uh, the fact that the United States Navy does not have a council and has not had one for a year is is you know verging on being criminal. I think uh, this is this is a this is a terrible situation. But but you're right. The, the problem is that. Um, and this is think of it more broadly in the context of the modern administrative state, which we like to complain about. Um, senators are using various mechanisms, tricks of the Senate, to prevent it from doing its basic duties, uh, which is to give the president what they need to run the country. And so things like holds or blue slips or all these little things around the edges that they can use – they're now using to fight political battles which have nothing to do with the particular nomination or the particular question uh, before them. In, in, in the case of uh, Coley Stimson, I think that's definitely the case. Uh, but in the case of a lot of these judges as well. So here, this is now going to be a test for Mitch McConnell, who's done a stellar job thus far getting those judges through. He's now got a situation where he's got a two-year window, um, and if they, if they allow this slow walk to continue – this, will, this is going to go through, um, and they will not get these nominates through. So now you have a combination of, uh, as, as you've written about, a new judiciary chairman and, and Mitch McConnell. They can each do something to get those things moving at a more rapid pace without violating the, the Senate's obligation to actually have hearings and votes. And that is, by the way, constitutional. We are being very pro-constitution here. It's just what it's laid out. Matt, always a pleasure. Dr. Matt Spaulding of the Kirby Center here in Washington, D.C. Hillsdale Dialogues are all available at Hugh for Hillsdale.com. 